So you always want to be prepared to... To set goals. To be really disruptive. Diversity is fundamental. It is just trusting those super strengths. To recover from those failures and, and learn from them. Humility looks like the softest word, but it's kind of the hardest. We ourselves are in beta mode. Life goes on. Sporting Edge, inside the mind of champions. Welcome to the Inside the Mind of Champions podcast. My name is Jeremy Snape. I'm a former England cricketer with a master's degree in sports psychology. Since retiring, I've been fortunate to work with and interview some of the world's most successful thinkers and performers. And I'm passionate about translating their habits and routines into practical strategies to help you become more successful. In each episode, I'll be dissecting a common performance challenge to help you improve your mindset, your leadership and your team performance. To me, our mindset is the next frontier. So let's find out why. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Inside the Mind of Champions and we've got a real treat in store for you today. I hope you've had a good few weeks since we last got together and I just wanted to start again by saying thank you so much to those people who gave that flurry of five-star ratings and reviews. So to Sofster, Erin, Healing Guy and Bryn, thanks so much for taking the extra 60 seconds out of your day to write that review. It really helps people to understand the show as they're trawling through the various channels and options. So thank you very much. My aim, as ever, is to try and provide you with some fresh thinking and strategies from our digital interview library to help you to become more successful in your own life and your own career. So I'm really thrilled that you're enjoying those episodes. And also thanks so much to the people who've asked for access to our digital library uh, for themselves and for their business. We're supporting thousands of execs around the world and I'm developing a members club as well, which is going to give you personal access to these legends and all of their strategies. So that's coming soon. So please keep in touch with me on LinkedIn and and look for my latest content and posts. And you can also visit sportingedge.com to see that information as well. So today's topic is a real make or break for leaders. It's how to manage those mavericks in our team. Every team's got one, whether it's Dennis Rodman in the Chicago Bulls, Kevin Peterson in the England cricket team or Shane Warne with Australia. You've probably even got one and name flashing in front of your eyes at the moment as we speak with Dave in accounts or Sarah in sales. These are the high performers who deliver amazing results, but we have to smooth that collateral damage across the team and it can be really draining and really time consuming as a hobby. So in this episode, we're going to hear the good, the bad and the ugly about managing Mavericks and what leaders need to do to get the very best out of them. I've seen Mavericks turn into a big problem in the dressing room. The more you fight them, the more you tell them to shut up, just do your thing. Do the team thing, you know. Not you're not bigger than the team, and all that crap. That they will always want to be an individual. You can't change it. I don't accept any of that. If you know where that line is and you step over it, there are consequences. There's often a player or two in a team that's prepared to make that hard call and and, and drag one of the the big heads, so to speak, you know, back into 
you know, what the team needs at a particular time. The worst case scenario is that we don't have a strong team bond that can help us to manage these mavericks within our unit. So maybe there's not enough task cohesion where we have those strong interdependencies. We rely on each other to get the job done. And maybe there's not the strong social cohesion we need, which is where the depth of our human relationships can build that trust and respect and that reliance on each other where we'll fight for each other in battle. So if we don't have task cohesion or social cohesion, we're in trouble because that's when each of the individuals can start to just lead off their own personal preferences. And that's where the social chemistry of the group can become toxic. So in this scenario, we're trying to get our managers and our leaders to understand how we can pull the Mavericks back into line. And for those of you who listened to episode four and five on creating a high-performing team, you'll remember the importance of creating an inspirational shared goal that excites everyone. We need to align everyone in those working groups and those departments and those individuals to all be part of that plan so that they can see how their daily activities, how their role delivers into that department, into that sort of structure and that wider organisational purpose. And this is the essential first strategy in showing our maverick that it's not all about them and there is a structure and there is a wider purpose in play. The term maverick was first coined by the unbranded and independently minded cattle owned by Texan lawyer and cattle baron Samuel Augustus Maverick in the 1860s. His reluctance to bring these wandering animals into the herd became his legacy as they damaged all these sort of local crops in the community. You can imagine the calls of those cattle and mavericks as they rip through people's carefully tended backyard vegetable patch. Well, I suppose this brings us to our first leadership question. Would you let your herd wander aimlessly around Or would you want them tethered by a rope? And if you want that control of these unruly cattle, how long would the rope be? How much flexibility and autonomy should we give people? We may not be cowboys, but the same rules apply as we're about to hear. If we fast forward 150 years and the rise of the social media celebrity, some of our young sports stars and young executives can carry more influence than their managers. In my role with the League Managers Association that looks after all the football managers' development, I had the privilege of interviewing Sir Alex Ferguson a few years ago at a conference. And he spoke about the need through his incredibly successful career to retain control of the team and some of these huge stars. Now we know he let some of those massive players go at seemingly the top of their game. But for Sir Alex, no one was bigger than the team. Fast forward 20 years and some star players have become, they've developed so much commercial clout because of their social following. You know, we think about Neymar with 140 million followers and Cristiano Ronaldo with an incredible 230 million followers. Now Juventus, the team he's playing for at the moment, only have, only, 40 million followers on Instagram. And it's estimated that half of that number came when Ronaldo signed. So is the modern era different from Sir Alex Ferguson's time? 
is the old model of keeping the players down and through authority and, and control still possible? Or are the performers in sport and business more powerful and more influential than they've ever been before because of this viral platform that can share information and opinion so quickly? So if this is the case, then we need to find new ways to emotionally engage our influential characters rather than expecting that traditional deference and compliance from the older era. For our first insight, I wanted to introduce you to a coach who's worked with some of the most talented rugby players in the world and galvanised four rival teams into one powerful unit, the British and Irish Lions. This is Sir Ian McGeekin talking about his strategy for setting the Maverick up for success from the start and that comes from tackling it head on. To try and get rid of ego in a team or where you think it, it might be, I think there's different ways of doing it. I think as a coach... I go out of my way to make the team and what it represents bigger than anything in front of me. And I will challenge a player and I'll be honest with a player to say, I have my worries that you might take us in the wrong direction. And I think you've got to have that honesty, I think, because I think then you can really move forward. And then when they, you know, they come back to you or players come back, if something's not right, you actually want them to come back to you and say, you know, we need to do this differently or can we change that? But I think if you're honest about that, uh, and I, you know, I firmly believe that the badge that you wear, whatever it is, has to mean everything to you and it is bigger than you are. So I think there are a few key points in there. And the first one was the way he used the heritage of the Lions badge as the primary reference point. This team's been here long before any of us and this team will go on long after any of us finish our careers. So in effect, we're a small part in it. So don't let your ego get too big. You know, we're just playing our part in, in handing down the legacy to the next generation. And the second part, of course, was having that honest conversation about his concerns before anything major happens. That acts as an early marker in the conversation and you can go back to it saying, remember when we had that chat about my concerns about your behaviour? So that's a really good way to tackle these things early. Don't let it build up like a volcano under the surface because, as we know, pressure cracks our teams apart. So we need to deal with these things quick and early. I think Mavericks are part of every team and every business and every culture. And I've been fascinated about this for this subject for years. I remember back in 2014 in the Indian Premier League, our team were playing in that stunning mountaintop stadium of Dharamshala in the far north of India, just on the border of Nepal. And one day before one of the games, our physio introduced me to a special guy that he knew. He was a Buddhist monk in the McLeod Gange Monastery, which is where His Holiness the Dalai Lama lives. And it was a truly surreal experience. We wandered past the prayer wheels and this monk in his bright red and orange robes led us down these cobbled streets to a, a small cafe where we chatted over a coffee. I had to pinch myself. I have to say I was fascinated about his mindset, his dedication and his discipline living a life of isolation and often silence, thankfully, not this day that we were meeting him, of course. And I asked him about the different personalities in the monastery. I was, I was interested in how the different groups formed. 
And did they see big characters who were louder and more dominant in the social scene than, than others? And he sort of nodded serenely with a wry smile and said, ah, yes, um, we have those people and we hear those people, but don't be fooled by their noise. The loudest bell in our monastery has the biggest hole inside. And I remember being intrigued by that comment. So could it be that the loudest, most opinionated, most dominant personalities have to be heard because of a void inside them that makes them overcompensate? Is their desperation to stand out and be recognised for being different an attempt to cover some deeper insecurity? Well, that was 2014 and that thought still rings in my ears when I think about team dynamics and, and mavericks. And in episode four, we heard from Professor Gro Sandal, the psychologist who supports the space station to build a strong team of, of astronauts. And she spoke about the old American model of selecting these individual alpha personality types, the, the fighter pilots that were then brought together as a team and how that contrasted with the Russian cosmonauts that were selected as a team, not as individuals, but their sort of interpersonal differences were selected about who could work best together as a team. So those are two very different styles. And for most of us, we don't have an either or. But when our top gun does burst onto the scene, we need to fasten our seatbelts because these very big characters can, can be both brilliant for teams and a challenge. So it's interesting to think back to my time as an England cricketer. I remember our captain Nasser Hussein had a brilliant style of leadership. And in this particular insight, when we asked him about how he managed the egos around him and the big personalities, this is what he had to say. And the example he uses is that effervescent character, Darren Goff. So for me, the moment I took over captaincy, I realised that Goff was that man that I wanted on my side, really. He was the one that young players listened to. And I made a conscious effort when in the press conference to say, Darren Goff will always be, while I'm England captain, Darren Goff will always be the first name on my team sheet. A, because I believe that, but B, also I realised that that would get across to Goff. And if I, if I had Goff on my side, I had the team. It's also a realisation that there are some very, very senior, charismatic, maverick players that you need on your side and give them responsibility. So nice to see that NASA had got that understanding of Darren Goff. He knew he was a key player. He knew he was going to be a formidable competitor, but he was also going to be a key influencer in the team. So I really like the way NASA was thinking about that and also using the media platform to get a message back to Darren Goff that would convey that confidence that this captain had got in him and showing that public support which was going to be so so important. I was privileged to play in the one day team with Goffey uh, and I'll never forget a six week tour of India and his personality and mischief was really the glue that held the team together through a pretty tough tour. We had a rat on the team bus one day and Goffey was desperately trying to catch it to put it in Ashley Giles's pads it was a hilarious moment. You can imagine all the all the lads around. But he was the heartbeat of the team and a fearless competitor on it. And I absolutely loved playing with him. So those social leaders are critical. But for all their noise and bravado, they need to be understood. They need to be reassured. 
Great coaches and leaders flex their style to accommodate different personalities, which means they don't get the same treatment. This point is articulated well by Team USA's former Olympic psychologist, Dr. Christina Fink. You need to treat everybody fairly, not and, and with respect, but we're not all equal. I mean, because we are very different people. So, so you need to make sure that you're treating people with enough, with, with, with respect and with, and when you do that, and, and, and what I mean by that is, this is the level that we need and this is what we want. So if you are the younger player, the 19 year old who's doing this, I know that you're gonna make this, these mistakes and I'm gonna treat you fairly because I want you to try these things. So I'm gonna treat you fairly where I know that I'm putting you in a different position and I'm gonna, a more mature athlete who's older, a player who's older, who is making a mistake because he's not focused, I'm gonna be a lot harsher with him. And that doesn't mean that I'm not treating you equally. I'm treating you, I'm, I'm, I'm actually expecting more of you because I have that respect for you. So I'm setting that bar to the level where I know you can get to. So this misconception sometimes in teams that we're all equal, we're all the same. And I don't think that's right. We need to respect our individual differences and make sure that the culture, the leadership is fair, but I wouldn't expect it to be equal all the time. And this certainly resonates with me because early in my career as a youngster at Northants, our captain was Alan Lamb and he knew how to get the best out of people. So on match day mornings, which was you know, five or six days a week back then, we were having these structured warm-ups for an hour, an hour and a half before the game. So we'd get there early. Bodies were fatigued and tired from the volume of cricket that we were playing. But we'd be stretching and doing shuttle runs and doing all this sort of stuff. And it became really, really monotonous. But for our secret weapon, our six foot eight fast bowler from the West Indies called Kirtley Ambrose, a world-class performer, he was allowed different privileges. His warm-up was a cup of tea and a slow stretch in the shower. Now, that was unequal, but we saw that as fair because he was the star and he could bowl at 90 miles an hour and, and often did. And, and after a, a chilled morning, he'd fly in and horrify the opposition and often win as the game. So there's something here about our coaches and captains and leaders knowing the different personalities and affording them different freedoms as they deliver more impact into our teams. But I guess the question for us to consider is, if we have a salesperson who's smashing it out of the park, a, a creative who nails it every time for our clients, or a, a forward that just keeps scoring hat-tricks, do they earn the right to have total autonomy or are there some rules that not even they can cross? In times of uncertainty, change and pressure, good leadership is a game changer. The Winning Mindset for Leaders is a pioneering digital coaching program which will equip you with the mindset and skills you need to lead yourself, your team and your organisation through turbulent times. With insights from world-class strategists, academics and leaders from elite sport, the military, performing arts and business, these essential skills will keep you ahead of the game. Find out more about this transformational 12-week program at www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com. The winning mindset for leaders. I think every team needs some non-negotiables, but whether they're 
ethical boundaries or a confidentiality rule or a protocol about interacting with the clients or the media. We need to have those non-negotiable rules. And, and this insight now from Baroness Sue Campbell is a great way of reinforcing those rules. I believe whether you're dealing with young people or athletes or systems, people need to know where they stand. They might not like you for it all the time, but they need to know where the line is in the, in the sand. And I think that's about really clear communication. You know, if you've really communicated very clearly that this side of the line's okay, on the line's a bit dodgy, this side of the line's not acceptable, and you've checked and you've made sure everybody gets that, and then someone steps over that line, I think they have to understand there are consequences to that. And I, I you know, I, I call it compassion without sentimentality. You know, when it comes to those decisions, I'm afraid, you know, the answer is you've got to accept responsibility here and this is the consequences of that. And I don't think we do that sometimes rigorously enough with some of our athletes. We don't want to upset them, we don't want to offend them. You know, well, they might not like it. You know, it might mean they're a bit stroppy next time. I don't accept any of that. If you know where that line is and you step over it, there are consequences. So that's a great insight there from former chair of UK Sport, Baroness Sue Campbell. She's been an exemplary coach and a leader through two Olympic cycles. So she's worked on the, the athletic side and also the administrative side of sport. So really important to have those rules. But what if your maverick didn't steal something or criticise you in the media? What if it's more of a drip, 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 that sort of nasty comment here or maybe turning up late there? Do our mavericks get shut down early or do they get afforded special freedoms? Well, I had the privilege of working with one of the biggest names in, in cricket and biggest sport and personalities, actually, Shane Warne. I've got to know him quite well over the years. And this is a brilliant insight where we get to hear inside the mind of one of these incredible sporting champions, a sporting genius. And this is him making the case for mavericks having some special treatment in our teams. People see it as a difficult decision how to handle the mavericks in the team, the ones that are opinionated, the personalities, sort of the heartbeat of the side, everyone gravitates towards the popular person. How do you handle those guys? Well, it's quite easily, in my opinion, and that is make them feel part of it. So even if they're not a leader of the team, they are, they might have an official title, but they're sort of the go-to person everyone looks up to. So to get the best out of them and the rest of the team, you've got to make them feel involved, make them feel a part of the decision-making process. And even more important than that is make them feel important. If you make them feel important and special privately, they'll give. The more you knock them down and say, sit in the corner, don't worry, you just play and do your stuff, the more they will resent that. So you have to get the best out of them because you know they're a match winner or a game changer, then you need them. So make them feel important make them feel wanted and make them feel included in some of the decisions. And I, look, there's so many examples I could use in cricket where I've done that when I was captain and when the captain's done that with me to say, what do you think today? What do you think we should do today? Bat, bowl, declaration. Just the little things that the decision the team needs to make, if you feel included in that, then it makes you buy into it and makes you give to everything. And all it is is a simple arm around you if it needs to. Um, or catch up in the morning, let's catch up for a break and have a chat about the game. 
Okay. And if you just make them feel important, make them included in it, they'll give. The more you fight them, the more you tell them to sh- shut up, just do your thing, do the team thing, you know, not, you're not bigger than the team and all that crap. That they will always want to be an individual. You can't change it. And if they're good enough and you need them in the team to win, then you've got to make him feel important. You've got to make him feel special. And everyone knows it, so don't hide it. Yeah, he's the man. He's the man. He's going to do it for us today, whoever that is. So let's watch him. Go and show us how to do it, buddy. Show off. Show us. And he'll want to. So don't fight him. Involve him. Put your arm around him and make him feel important. That's the way to do it. So wise words there from the great Shane Warne. And, and it's brilliant to hear that insight about making the Mavericks feel special, giving them responsibility and his disdain for don't give me all that. There's no I in team crap. You know, no one's bigger than the team because, you know, the truth is that we need these incredible performers to stand up. So our Mavericks don't have the fear, don't have that worry that, you know, when a tight match situation or a massive sales pitch or a, you know, huge pressure period in our business steps up, the Maverick steps up with it and they say, we can do this. I'm going to do this single handedly if I have to. So we need that courage. We need that bravado in our team sometimes. And we shouldn't just try and recruit sort of meek and mild people that are easy to manage. We have to embrace these bigger characters. But of course, that's a bigger management challenge for us to understand how to handle them and how to get the very best out of them. I hope you're enjoying today's show. I just wanted to take a moment to introduce you to Sporting Edge's Members Club. It's an amazing opportunity to join our network of high performers from around the world. Over the last decade, we've created this pioneering library of video insights and performance strategies from the world's best thinkers and performers. But we've never really had a solution that gives you direct access to this whenever you need it. So when you become a member, you'll be able to access this incredible toolkit to boost your mindset and career on demand on any device. You'll hear from neuroscientists helping you to understand how your brain works. You'll be able to watch Olympians giving you inspirational stories and strategies to boost your resilience and rekindle your motivation. And you'll also hear from communication gurus as well as experts in business strategy and the future of the workplace. We'll introduce you to new experts every month and invite you to join exclusive online mastermind sessions with world-class coaches and performance experts. So here's how you can find out more. During times of uncertainty and pressure, your mindset will be the key to your success. Sporting Edge members have unlimited personal access to hundreds of video insights and performance strategies to accelerate their personal and professional success. This is your chance to get powerful weekly micro-lessons from the world's best thinkers and performers from elite sport. You'll be able to connect with a global network of entrepreneurs, coaches and senior executives on webinars, discussion forums and events. Become a Sporting Edge member and get access to the world's best coaches on demand. For more information, visit www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com. So if you're a coach, entrepreneur or executive looking for strategies to navigate the future with confidence, come and learn more about Sporting Edge Members Club at sportingedge.com forward slash membership. I look forward to welcoming you 
to our high-performance network. So one of the coaches that worked for a long time with Shane Warne was Greg Shippard from Melbourne. Um, he's one of the best cricket coaches in the world. He led Victoria to four Sheffield Shield titles, a one-day cup and four big bash titles. He coached in the IPL and, and more recently won the big bash in the 1920 uh, season with Sydney Sixers. So an incredible coach and Shippy's like Yoda of coaching uh, in Australia. I learned so many things from uh, watching him and, and watching him work when we were at the Big Bash in, in Melbourne for the Melbourne Stars. And in this particular insight, Greg talks about managing those big personalities and his take on it, which is a slightly different view. You know, Warney talked about that head to head. We don't want that conflict. So this is a great insight from Greg Shippen. Oh, look, it's inevitable that there are going to be different personalities in the room and that's often what makes you know, a very good team is to have a range of, of players that display you know, different you know, personalities around the dressing room provided that player or those players that have those big personalities at the end of the day are following the team plan and making a positive contribution then you let them run their race uh, and if that's not the case and someone's jumped outside of uh, the guidelines, then you know they need to be dragged in, you know, through an honest debate. Often, it's best to come from within the group as opposed to have the coach jumping in and pulling a player into line with a big ego. And the best teams are the ones that you know self-manage. So the coach has an eye on that sort of situation and circumstance. But uh, if it can be internally driven, then there's often a player or two in a team that's prepared to make that hard call and and, and drag one of the the big head, so to speak, you know, back into, you know, what the team needs at a particular time. So that's a great insight from Greg Shippard. And, and so often we see this media story played out that it's a conflict between the coach and the big star player. But we can hear there that one of the skills to avoid that is that the coaches and leaders can use the social influencers and the senior players within our teams to try and bring that big character back into line because we all have an equal share in that team culture when we come to work when we come to our teams we bring our attitude and our behavior with us and we all create that culture so the rest of our team should be able to challenge each other that's one of the defining characteristics of a high performing team it shouldn't just be hierarchical with the head coach cracking the whip the the team should have its own disciplinary code around it that they police with each other. And that's often at peer level where the strongest ties lie rather than the, the sort of authority figure in the hierarchy above. So it's really important for us to start to think about how we can use this social group, this, this senior leadership group to police and challenge players rather than just having this dangerous standoff with the head coach or the senior leader it's a slightly different view of doing it. So let's switch sports now and listen to someone who's seen plenty of big characters during his stellar career at Chelsea Football Club. This is Frank Lampard sharing his take on how to monitor what the Maverick is bringing to the team and also what they might be doing to take away from the team. I think there are, there are basic levels which I keep talking about standards and respect work ethic, there are basic levels that have to be attained 
as far as I see it. Fortunately, the, a lot of the best people, I think the most world-performing people, have an understanding of that. So even if they become across, you know, maybe they, they drive the extra flashy car, they come to a meeting a few minutes late here and there, or whatever it may be that kind of, even if they have those moments, really when it comes to the crunch, and they might have to be told a couple of times, whether it be by a manager or, or a person senior to them in whatever way, or a teammate, I think they have to be told that, because I think I've seen Mavericks turn into a big problem in the dressing room with uh, consistently coming late. Talk about coming late to a meeting, five minutes once, okay, uh, twice, mm, three, four, five times, um, you're really setting a standard that uh, is going to be a lot, maybe much more detrimental to the club than what that Maverick brings on the pitch. So I think you, you have to have an awareness, you have to it's take, take an approach where it's not, you know, not taking a baseball bat to this, but I've got my eye on it and I think they have to be told. Now, whether it's a collective thing as a manager, do you go and speak to your captains and go, hang on, we're all seeing this. I need you as players, as his mates, teammates to, to have a word. I think that's a, a pretty good and effective method to make it maybe look like it's not the manager completely saying you and you're the only one. Um, but I don't think you can accept a lack of standards. I really don't. I think it gives yourself a bigger problem. So it's interesting to hear Frank Lampard there talking about the same kind of things as, as Greg Shippard. How do we use the team? How do we use the senior peers in the group to police and, and pull these minor indiscretions back in before they start to contaminate our team culture? And I think this is where we need to objectively assess what the Maverick is bringing to the team. So there may be this belief, there may be this confidence, there may be this incredible performance that they're bringing, but are they also starting to cut corners? Are they starting to breach one rule consistently? Or, or is it more about these little misdemeanors, being late, wearing the wrong gear, being arrogant and critical of other people in the team environment? So we've got to understand the Maverick may be performing at 10 or 20% or 30% more than the rest of the people. They may be scoring more runs, more goals, or more sales might be coming from this particular individual. So they've got this confidence and this aura about them. But what we don't see is the cost that the team incurs by them cutting corners or being rude or turning up late. And that's where we might have a 20% uplift in their own performance, but actually 10 other people might be compromised by 4% or 5% because they're always talking about this, they're frustrated, or or maybe they're trying to follow and, and they're turning up late and this is starting to cascade into the wider culture. So when we look at that net balance between the, the sort of uplift of the high performer that stands out that they're an incredible salesperson, but then we actually see, even though there's a 20% uplift, we might see a 40% downswing because of the contamination that that negative behaviour brings into the team. So I think that's often the part that's not seen with the Mavericks. We tend to just look at what they deliver and how much better they are than everybody else. But if we really started to assess the collateral damage across team performance and the team culture, which is so important going forward, then it's going to be uh, you know, a really important thing to assess that objectively. And the most public example of this would be Kevin Peterson and Andy Flower, the England cricket coach and, and star player back in 
2014, with tensions running high, both personalities resorted to type under pressure. KP was an incredible player, a rule breaker on the pitch, and Kevin was, uh, you know, a trailblazer who redefined the one-day game, really. And then Andy was all about discipline, all about control, all about the detail and structure, which brought about so much of England's success. And eventually these two contrasting styles blew apart and they both ended up losing their jobs. So I think the point that's often lost with the Kevin Peterson situation was that they had such a brilliant spell of performance. It wasn't, you know, just an issue that couldn't be sorted in, in the first place, but it was definitely something that was building and the tension was building under the surface. And I think that's why this battle between head coach and player or manager and, and you know staff member is so important that we try and understand both the perspective that Ian McGeekin gave us about talking about this badge, this this higher purpose, this reason the team or the business exists. Because if it's just me versus you, then it's going to be a really frustrating head-to-head and it's going to be a power battle. Whereas if we bring a third point into that conversation and we're almost standing side by side rather than toe to toe and we're looking at the strategy for the team or we're looking at the customer experience or we're looking at, you know, the reputation of our brand, then then we both fall into line against that rather than it being a, a personal dynamic, which can often be the end for both the maverick and, and the manager in some of these conditions in this power struggle. So I think you may be reflecting on the big personalities in your team, in your business and and where you sit on managing them. Are you going to give them huge flexibility to to roam the streets like that initial namesake with the cattle? Or are you going to pull them back into line and have a really strict disciplinary code and allow no flexibility around it? That continuum really is a great thing to reflect on where you sit as a leader. But in summary, we've heard that the noise and the bravado that maybe, uh, you know, our mavericks are are showcasing may be coming from an insecurity. So we need to get to know them and we need to understand them. What makes them tick? Why do they want to be so different? You know, why do they want to speak out so loudly all the time? Let's understand that rather than fearing it and trying to embrace it. Shane Warne told us that we need to make the mavericks feel special, make them feel part of it. Maybe bring them into the think tank so that they can hear things first rather than being the last to find out. That wouldn't be good for them. So maybe we could give our Mavericks more responsibility and help them to be part of the solution rather than bubbling away and and spreading rumours in the background that they would do it differently or that the manager or the coach has got it wrong. I think managers and coaches need to pick their battles. We've heard that. So using the senior members of the team and building a strong enough team culture that can actually police its own team culture and rules. That's going to be critical. It shouldn't be the manager all the time that has to step in. But we do need to outline and identify our non-negotiables where not even if the best player in the world was to cross them, could you save them? You have to understand which rules cannot be broken by anyone. Otherwise, there are massive consequences. And also, I think, making the Maverick realise their influence in the team and and maybe they can be channeled to the good and and make them more of a mentoring role, that they're actually critical as a social influencer within our team of setting up that culture, 
mentoring the youngsters as they come through so that they can go on and have a brilliant career like the maverick that they idolize within their team. So I really hope you found these insights around managing mavericks really fascinating. I think it's an, a really interesting area of team psychology. So for me, the big takeaway with our mavericks is keeping a close eye on them. For many days, they will be a joy to watch deliver an incredible performance. But one day you will notice that they are starting to take more than they give. And from that tipping point, it's very, very hard to go back. So we need to be strong in our management of these incredible performers. So I wish you every success with managing your Mavericks. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast episode. Please join me on LinkedIn. I'll be sharing some answers to your questions on managing Mavericks, some of the experiences and some of the interviews that we've heard in today's episode. And remember, if you want to keep up to date with our latest insights, then please join me either on LinkedIn by connecting there or come to sportingedge.com and we'll keep you posted all the time with our latest interviews and content. Keep your questions and feedback coming. And until next time, good luck with managing those mavericks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Mind of Champions. Connect with Jeremy's LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram links in today's show notes to receive the latest insights from his work. If you'd like to get access to Sporting Edge's digital library or book Jeremy for a conference speech or webinar, then please visit www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com.